morning. Uh, as Maddie said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. So glad to be with you. Welcome back to those of you who've been away traveling. Hope you had a happy new year. Uh, if you missed it over the break, I did want to bring to your attention the email that we sent out, the resource guide uh, for the new year. has some really helpful resources in there uh, in terms of starting out well in 2022. Uh, so love for you to check that out if you didn't get that already. Uh, and next week we'll be kind of relaunching all of our small groups, our city groups, our men's and women's Bible studies. So you'll have a lot to, lot to hear about coming up. Also starting a new sermon series in 2 Corinthians entitled Power in Weakness. Uh, but before we dive into 2 Corinthians, this week we'll be looking uh, just for one week at the vision of Christ Central Church through the lens of Jeremiah 29. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand, as is our custom here, as we give reverence to God's Word. We're in Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word. The prophet says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother and the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shapham, and Jemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage and that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The prophet Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true. And so we ask that you would speak to us now through your word. That as we gather here together in this place, that we would encounter you, the living God, and be transformed. Father, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I have to admit that my wife and I sometimes fight over some really silly things that may be unique to us. I don't know any, if anyone else can resonate with that. One of the things that we like to fight over is whether or not to utilize the chest of drawers in a hotel room. And I want to take a quick poll here. Raise your hand if you are crazy, like my wife, and you unpack your suitcase when you are staying in a hotel. Wow, okay. There's a lot of you. Uh, I just want to say to you, that makes no sense. That is absolutely ridiculous. Why in the world would I unpack and sort my things 
when in a few days I'm going to have to put them all back, I think my suitcase serves just fine as a storage place for my clothes. And when I, when I say that, really what me and my wife are, are arguing over, what we're disagreeing about is how do you engage a place that you're just visiting? How do you navigate a home that is not your forever home? Jeremiah 29, the people of God are having this exact same debate. You see, prior to our text, God's people had been forcefully taken from their homes in Jerusalem and relocated to the city of Babylon. And the question that all the exiles were asking is, should we unpack our bags and make ourselves at home, or should we leave our bags packed and ready? Because hopefully we're getting out of this place any day now. They're asking that question, how do we engage this place that is our current home but not our forever home? And that's the question that I want to put before us this morning. How do we, Christ Central, engage this home, Durham, North Carolina, that is not our forever home? You see, because whether you're aware of it or not, Durham is not your forever home. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then heaven ultimately, and not Durham, is your forever home, which means that all of us are really just visiting which is why time and again in the scriptures, God refers to us as aliens. Not the E.T. sort of alien, but the kind of alien that that belongs to another place, who resides in a place that is not their home. It's because of this that I think the words of Jeremiah are certainly appropriate for you and for me because our text really is the ultimate playbook for how to rightly live in a home that is not your forever home. What the text reveals is that in order to engage place well, we must rightly answer these three questions. First, why are we here? Secondly, what are we here for? And then lastly, how do we do it? So I want to begin by asking you that first question. Why are you here in Durham, North Carolina? Were you born here and you decided to stay? I think that's Kind of rare these days. I actually was talking to someone this morning who fits that bill. Maybe you moved here for a job or a spouse or for school. Maybe you moved here because you heard Durham was a cool city and you thought it would be a good place to start a career or raise a family. All these are wonderful answers, wonderful reasons why you might be here. But the text says they're all wrong. Look again with me at our text This is verse 1. And if you were to ask the recipients of this letter, the exiles, why they were in Babylon, this is what they would have said. Verse 1, we're here because Nebuchadnezzar took us into exile, took us from Jerusalem to Babylon. They would have said, he made me do it. Mean old Nebuchadnezzar. But then listen to what God says in response, verse 4. God says to the exiles, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem. Don't miss this, church. God says that the reason why his people are in Babylon is not because Nebuchadnezzar took them there, but because I, God, sent you there. And in this statement, God is profoundly declaring that mighty King Nebuchadnezzar is just a pawn in God's master plan. That God, in his providence, used a wicked king to fulfill his purpose for his people. 
And so what that means for us is that just like the exiles in Babylon, we need to recognize that you and I are not the ones who ultimately orchestrated us being in this place. You didn't bring yourself to Durham, North Carolina. God sent you here. Now, I realize that may be a foreign idea for many of us. We, at times as Christians, will talk about calling in terms of jobs or maybe in terms of a spouse, but we don't often talk about calling in terms of place. Yet what's clear in the Scriptures is that God cares deeply about place. Throughout the Bible, we see God pouring out His blessings, providing protection, cultivating, flourishing, not just for certain peoples, but also for certain places. Certainly, this is not God's only motive, but what our text makes plain is that one of the primary motivations for God sending his people into exile was because God cares about Babylon. He cares about that place. And therefore, the first thing that I think we need to wrestle with this morning in terms of the true answer for why we are here is because God cares about this place. God cares so much about Durham that he has sent his people, you and me, here. I imagine most of us, me included, don't normally think like that. We don't normally operate out of the assumption that the reason why we are here in Durham is because God sent us here. But I wonder how differently we would live if we did. The first challenge I want to give to all of us for this week, each day this week, when you walk out of your apartment, your dorm, your house, whatever you call home, I want you to remind yourself of why you are here. I want you to say it out loud. Just say literally, God, I am here in this place because you sent me here, because you care deeply about this place. And then just observe how just saying that, declaring that, impacts the way you engage your surroundings. Brings us to our second question. Now that we know why we are here, because God sent us, we must ask the question, what are we here for? In a few weeks, my family is going to be moving to a new house, and we've kind of gotten to that point in the process where I'm not really concerned if something breaks in my current house. And I don't really feel inclined to fix it either. Kind of kind of at that place where like, sure, kids, throw the football in the house. You know, that hole in the drywall, it's not my problem anymore. Let the bathtub overflow. Who cares about the subfloor, you know? Anyone want to buy my house, right? <laughs> but we can all resonate with what I'm saying because it's human nature to avoid work that won't benefit us much. This was the tension that that the exiles in Babylon were feeling. Look again at verse 2. It says that, you know, the the king, the queen, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, metal workers, they'd all departed from Jerusalem. Now, we need to understand a little bit of how exile worked in the ancient Near East. It was very normal back then when a nation conquered another nation that they would pull out the best of the best. They would pluck the the skilled workers and leaders and bring them back home with them. Why would you do this? Well, because these are the people that have something to offer, skills and abilities that might make their nation better. Jeremiah, he's a prophet. He's one of the few people that's still left in Jerusalem because what good is a prophet in Babylon? Kind of a side note, 
here, but that makes me feel pretty good about the prospects. If Durham is taken over, they're not coming for me. Nobody wants a pastor. You are the ones who are going first, so, so I'll be good. But what we see is these skilled workers, they've been involuntarily taken up to Babylon, and, and they're being asked to offer up their services to the nation of Babylon. And so they're understandably, they're asking this question, why? Why should we? What's in it for us? Why would the king and queen offer up their advice to the the local magistrates of of Babylon? Why would the craftsmen and and metal workers labor on buildings and structures that they will never get to enjoy, likely not even see completed? Much like my lack of desire to to fix up my house for the, the next owner, God's people had no desire to labor to make some other nation's city better for some other group of people. And yet, shockingly, The message of Jeremiah is to do just that. Look at verse 5. He says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, sons, daughters. Verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Jeremiah's charge is to invest in this place, even though the investment may not actually benefit you that much. Because the reason why I have sent you there is not for you, but for them. It's a foreign idea in an individualized Western culture to be about the welfare of others instead of the welfare of self. And yet, don't miss this, church. That's God's master plan from the beginning. His plan was to call a, a special group of people to himself and to bless those people. That's right. Bless them. But that's not the prosperity gospel that we often hear. God blesses them for a very specific purpose. God blesses his people so that they can be a blessing. We see that all the way back in the beginning, the call to Abram in Genesis 12. God says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Knowing this should motivate us all to ask the question, in what ways has God blessed me to be a blessing? Because the truth is we've all been blessed, every single one of us. God has given so much to us. And no doubt God wants us to enjoy those blessings, to receive them as a gift that's motivated by his love for us. And yet at the same time, he longs for us to experience the riches that come from imitating his character and being a blessing to others. What gifts has God given you that you could give to someone else in this place? Certainly for some of us, the answer to that question is monetary. But God has given a lot more than just money, hasn't he? He has given some of you incredible minds and world-class educations. He's given some of you strong arms and power tools and the knowledge of how to fix and and build things. He's given some of you patience and empathy and the ability to sit with someone who is in immense pain. Whatever gifts God has given us, may we, Christ Central, be on the lookout for ways to give those gifts to others. Brings us to our third and final question. We see now that God has sent us to this place. And the reason he sent us here is is not purely for our own good, but, but it's to be a blessing. And so the question that remains is how do we do it? 
practically speaking, how do we bless this place? I think step one is unlike me in the hotel room, we need to unpack our bags and make ourselves at home, which is something that the American church has often struggled with. I think we're often more inclined to separate from rather than to make our home in this place. Why is that? Well, some of it, I think, comes from not great eschatology. Eschatology is the study of what is to come after death, the end times. And in many circles, the church has concluded that really all that matters is what is to come. That this life, this here and now, is just this holding pattern, this place where we wait until the plane finally lands in heaven. And it's that sort of thinking that has motivated Christians to withdraw from the places that God has sent them, to create a a holy huddle, if you will, a community that is disconnected from the rest of society, holding tight to one another until the end finally comes. And yet that way of thinking goes completely against what God is saying here in Jeremiah 29. It totally misses God's plan to bless this place through us, through those whom he has sent to be a blessing. Which is why we need to unpack our bags and make ourselves at home. Now I know what what many of you are thinking. You're thinking, but wait, Pastor Timothy, I already know I'm not going to be here very long. My schooling will end. The residency will be over. My job's going to require me to move at some point or we're going to want to be near family again. You already know that Durham is not your forever home. But isn't that not the whole point of the text? That God is calling us to treat our temporary home like it is our forever home. And so the charge for us is to engage this city, regardless of how long we're going to be here, as if we're going to be here forever. And in so doing, verse 7, we make the welfare of this place our aim. Even if we know that we may never get to see that welfare come to fruition. But how do we do that? If you've been here for a while, you've likely heard our, our vision statement before. We exist for the glory of God and the good of Durham. And underneath that vision statement is our mission, meaning the way in which we seek to accomplish that vision, which is through seeking spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. Spiritual renewal, seeking individual lives changed and community formed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Social renewal, seeking flourishing for all people through the work of mercy and justice. Cultural renewal, seeking the integration of our faith with our vocations, recreations, and creations. This is how the good of of Durham happens, through seeking that kind of renewal in this place. But where does that come from? Where does that vision vision and mission come from? It's right here in the text. Listen again to verse 7. It says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Now, how do we get all that renewal stuff from that one little verse? Well, the answer is when we begin to unpack this Hebrew word shalom that is translated here as welfare. What's interesting is if you read our text in, in different translations, you'll see this word translated a whole bunch of different ways. And the reason that is that happens is because there really is no one English word that has the, the lexical range of the Hebrew shalom. 
A simple translation of the word would be peace, but if you were to talk to a a Jewish man or woman, they will tell you that shalom is no ordinary peace. It is comprehensive, all-encompassing peace. As one Hebrew scholar says, shalom is not just the absence of conflict. This rich term fills out the word community by embracing well-being, contentment, wholeness, health, prosperity, safety, and rest. Shalom means order, harmony, and happiness. It means all is right with the city. Church, when we talk about spiritual, social, cultural renewal, we're talking about shalom. We're talking about the whole person, the whole city, every aspect of life in Durham being transformed for the good. The good good news for us, that's quite daunting, right, to think about. But the good news is that that not only does does God call us to the work of shalom, but he's also modeled it for us as well. Let us not forget, as we've been celebrating over the past couple weeks, that God has sent his one and only son to a place that was not his home. He sent Jesus down from heaven to this place. And Jesus made this place his home for us, for you, for me, to be a blessing to us. There's no better picture of one who, who, who takes the gifts that God has given them and in turn gives those gifts away to others. Jesus gave it all. He emptied himself to the point of death, to the point of death on the cross so that we might receive the blessings and goodness of God. That's the gift that we receive from an alien who graciously made his home in our neighborhood. I want to conclude with this story. In November of 1858, John and Mary Patton left their comfortable home in Scotland and made a new home in the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. This was not a tourist destination. This was an undeveloped, tiny island that was rough and dangerous. And it was full of people who had never heard of Jesus Christ. And while they were there, John and Mary not only brought the good news of Jesus Christ, but they also brought education. They helped develop small industry on the island and even advocated against a a form of slavery that existed on this island for decades. Talk about a passion for spiritual, social, and cultural renewal, for shalom for these people. And they faced all sorts of dangers throughout their life, could have given up many times, and yet they endured because they knew that God had called them to this place to be a blessing where God had sent them. As a result, this tiny little island in the South Pacific was completely transformed. Our central God has called us here to this place. He sent us here to be a blessing to cultivate spiritual, social, and cultural renewal, to bring about shalom. So let's unpack our bags. Let's make ourselves at home and trust that if we do, Durham will never be the same. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you and we recognize that you have called us to this place. We didn't choose Durham, but you sent us here. Because you care about this city and you care about the people of this city. And you have invited us, you've challenged us to be a blessing to this place. 
God, would you reveal to us more and more what that looks like? And by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you enable us to do that well? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.